Lord, that is our, our prayer this morning, that Father God, that we truly are, we're desperate for you and we're lost without you. I cannot imagine living life in this world, not having a relationship with you. And Father, I just pray this morning that Lord, as we open up your word, that you'd minister to each of our hearts and that Father, through our time in the word, Lord, that each of us, Lord, would be drawn closer to you. And Father, we just, we are, we're desperate for you, Lord. May you move in a mighty and a powerful way among us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 6. We'll continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. I just want to say uh, once again, hey, if you're new here, I just want you to feel welcome and loved. At Calvary Chapel, we don't have membership. You show up, you're part of the family. Amen? You're giving your life to Jesus Christ, you're born again, we're brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I just hope that from the moment you come in here, you know that we love you, that we've been praying for you even before you came that God would bring the people here by the power of His Holy Spirit, that you would just feel comfortable and part of our family. So God bless you, and I'm glad you're here. And if there's anything we can do to help you, please let us know. We're going to pick up in Acts chapter 6, in our, again, our verse-by-verse study in the New Testament. If you're going to be coming on Wednesday, I want to encourage you, pray about coming on Wednesdays. We're going through the Old Testament on Wednesday. We'll be in Leviticus chapter 25 this coming Wednesday. And it's uh, just a great time to see the balance between the Old and the New Testament. So this morning in Acts chapter 6, we're going to be picking up as just we're seeing the explosive growth in the first century church. And I think that this chapter, just as, as it always is with God's Word, is so appropriate and so timely for Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. And I'll get to that in a moment, but I want to catch us up and just let us know real quickly what's happened in the first five chapters. Christ had ascended back into heaven, but He said, I'm not going to leave you alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to come upon the church. In Acts chapter 1, we titled the message, Waiting for the Promise. And in Acts 1 verse 8, it says, And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. We've talked about the fact the word for power there is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And he says, guys, you're going to go from being the, the, the napping apostles to mighty men of God. You're going to go from being guys who deny me to men who speak boldly for me. And that's only possible when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In Acts chapter 2, we saw the Holy Spirit did indeed come upon them. All they did was simply wait upon the Lord. The Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak the gospel in other languages. And many people came to know the Lord. And and Peter, Mr. Deny Christ, stood up and 3,000 souls were added to the church in a single day. Church is growing radically and quickly. In chapter 3, we saw them then walking in the Spirit. And we saw that transformation from pride to humility, from compromise to conviction, from religious tradition to being men of the Word. Then in chapter 4, we saw evidences of a Spirit-filled life that when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you walk sold out for Him, there will be things that you're going to run into. And one of those things, and we'll see it a little bit more in the coming weeks, is persecution from the lost. But we'll see that their, their lives produced fruit and it became a reflection of the Lord. And then the last two weeks in Acts chapter 5, we saw the difference between pursuing God and the praise of men. And we saw the contrast between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. And if you'll remember that it says in Acts 2 that the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. But in God's math, not only is there addition, but sometimes there's subtraction. And as we're going to see today, then there's multiplication. But there's subtraction because Barnabas, who was faithful when they said, everybody bring your stuff together, those who feel called, and give that we might minister to the needs of those in the, in the new church that are in need. And we saw that Barnabas came and his heart was pure before God and he gave all that he had. But then we saw Ananias and Sapphira come and their motives were a little different. 
their motives were to be praised by men. They wanted to to give to the Lord so that men would say, wow, you're so spiritual. Look at you how you gave. You know what? Whenever I hear about somebody making a big donation and then they make sure they're getting credit, something's wrong. Amen? They're not giving with a pure motive and a pure heart. And we know what God did to Ananias and Sapphira. He struck them down dead. And that's pretty heavy considering, right? They, they gave most of what they had. And he did not strike them down dead because they didn't give all. He struck them down dead because they were hypocrites. Because they were pretending to be something that they weren't. And there's nothing that will slow a church down from being used mildly by God than hypocrisy within its body. When people walk around and pretend to be something that they're not. And so the Lord dealt very clearly with them. And then last week we saw the persecution that came as they stood for the Lord in a message I entitled, Truth and Consequences. They spoke the truth, but there were consequences. The religious leaders attempted to silence them, but the apostles would not waver. The the imprisonment didn't slow them down. Remember I talked about the fact that they probably viewed prison as a divine appointment. They got stuck in jail and they thought, Awesome, captive audience. These guys aren't going anywhere. And they were preaching Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. And telling a spirit-filled Christian not to share their faith is like telling them not to breathe. Amen? You couldn't stop them. These guys were unstoppable. And then we saw at the end of the chapter that Gamaliel avoided the truth. Remember he said, hey, if this is of God, then, then it, it'll keep on. If it's not of God, we don't want to fight against it. But I believe he was avoiding the truth. He was like pulling a Pontius Pilate, trying to wash his hands of Jesus. And you can't do that. Everybody must make a decision about Jesus Christ. Amen? You're either for him or you're against him. Either, either your Lord, your Savior, your God, and your King, or he is the one who will judge him on judgment day for rejecting him. And so Gamaliel tried to wash his hands of him. And the religious leaders gathered together and they beat these guys. They scourged them. A a type of beating that often left people dead. Their organs would be exposed. It would scar their bodies for life. And how did they end? They walked away and they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the kingdom of God. You know what? How do you stop guys like that? You beat them and they are rejoicing that they were counted worthy. You don't stop them. You can't stop them. Because they are empowered by the spirit of the living God. When we do things in the flesh, we get easily uh, turned away. We easily you know, fall apart. But as we pick up this week, we're going to see that the persecution's not going to stop. It's just going to be kicked up some more. The church continues to grow, and as it grows, the persecution will c- continue to come. As they continue to teach and preach Jesus as the Christ. You know, the more they do that, the more they're going to face the opposition of the world. You know, just on a quick side note, it's amazing... Pray for, the, pray for the people in leadership in our church. It's nothing major, but the reality is that in our church right now, you know, one of our pastors is home with his whole family sick. Another one, his sister-in-law just died this week. I mean, we had some struggles in my house. And it's amazing as our church continues to grow and explode that the persecution continues to come. But that just means God's going to do something great. Amen? Because the reality is that Satan's resources are limited and he's only going to attack where God's being magnified and lifted up. You want to stop having persecution? Stop walking with the Lord. The reality is we're not doing that around here. Amen? And so the persecution is going to keep coming, but praise the Lord, it just makes me want to say one word, and that word is charge. Amen? I mean, it just means God's going to do something great. Well, the church is growing, the church is exploding, and we're going to see here this morning, as we look at raising up of godly men, they're going to give spiritual answers to practical problems, and then we're going to see the continued persecution of the body. 
And I, I believe that this message is so timely for us as a church, and we'll see it as we go through it. So over the next three chapters, we're going to see two of the most godly men in the early church. We're only going to look at chapter 6 this morning, but we're going to see two of the most godly men in the early church, and we're going to see that these guys were not apostles. And we're going to see how they started out their ministries. But Stephen was the first Christian martyr. We'll be looking at him this week and again next week. He was a man of the word. He was an expositor of scripture. He was one who boldly proclaimed the truth. And they told them that, again, that they had resisted the Holy Spirit. He told them that they had murdered the Messiah. The guy did not back down a bit. But we're going to see how he started before he became that man. We're also going to see a man in two weeks by the name of Philip, a great evangelist who preached Christ all over Samaria, where multitudes were saved. He ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch. Some of you know that story. We'll be getting to that in a couple weeks. He also ministered throughout the the, the land, and he was unashamed of the gospel. But we're going to see how his ministry started this morning. Before they would be used in such a mighty way, they first had to learn how to serve. Let me read to you out of Acts, just stay where, or out of Matthew, excuse me, just stay where you are. We're going to take a look at the text in just a moment. But I want to read something to you. But Jesus called them to himself. This is uh, Matthew 20, verses 25 to 28, if you're taking notes. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. We're going to see that in the first century church, the way that God used people in a mighty way almost always began first with a heart of service, a heart of a servant. The truest sign of a calling is not your ability to teach, but your willingness to serve. So often we think that the abilities is is the equation of calling. And I'll tell you what I look for first in ministry is a heart and a willingness to serve. Somebody who will go and serve in the nursery. Somebody who will come early and set up chairs. Somebody who will go and visit someone who's sick. Somebody who will freely give of their talents and everything that God's given them. That's the true heart of someone called the ministry, even more than the ability to play a guitar or speak with eloquence or anything else. And so often in the world we get it mixed up. We're going to see this morning God's clear pattern and the pattern that he used in the first century church as the church was growing. So we're going to see in the first seven verses the calling into service and then boldness to witness that would follow. So let's begin in verse 1. And again, a message I entitled, Raising Godly Men, looking at the calling into service. Verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Now the number of disciples was what? What does it say there? Multiplying. Now God's math. In Acts chapter 2, we saw addition. That the Lord was adding daily those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 5, we saw subtraction. As those in hypocrisy, Ananias and Sapphira, were removed from the church. But now we're going to see the level kicked up even another notch. From addition to multiplication. God is multiplying His church. You know what? A healthy church will grow. But look what it says here. When the number of what was multiplying? What does it say? Disciples, not the number of people showing up at church, not the number of attendees, but the number of disciples. God has called us to make disciples. Now I want to say this, I'm just going to take a moment to address this. 
You know, I hear people say two extremes. Hey, we got this many people in our church, we must be doing something right. Then I hear some people say that all the churches care about is how many people show up at their church. Okay? Here's the reality. A healthy church will grow. But it will grow not based on having the flying Walindas or a petting zoo in the parking lot or Bozo the Clown handing out balloons at the front door or anything else. The church will grow because God's word will transform lives and healthy sheep will beget healthy sheep. Amen? It's making disciples. You know, it's not counting how many people show up on pack a Wednesday or whatever it might be or whatever program you've got to drag people in, but it's lives being touched and transformed. And I've heard people so... But, Having a large church does not mean necessarily that you're successful because you can bring them in with other things and what you win them with is what you win them to. But I also see the other extreme of we've got 12 people in our church because we're just really, really spiritual and you know, we're so spiritual that nobody else really gets it and you know, that's not the Lord. Because a healthy church will grow. Amen? Because healthy sheep will beget healthy sheep. You will be so in love with Jesus you can't help but be contagious. And so it says there that the church is multiplying because people are falling in love with the Lord. And they can't help but be contagious. And the Holy Spirit is moving in a mighty and a powerful way. Not just attracting a crowd, but the church multiplying. Now what happens when a church multiplies is there are things that are going to happen in the body. There are going to always be people that murmur. And there are always going to be people that feel left out. And there are always going to be people that felt like, and we have this, hey, I just want to encourage you, if you're new at our church, I mean, in the last six months, our church has doubled in size. And if God just keeps doing what he's doing, the parking lot's full, and that's okay, that's a good problem to have. Amen? And the church is going to just keep on growing, because you guys are going to keep being in love with the Lord, and you're going to keep sharing your faith, and praise God, great problems to have. But I also know this, that sometimes people come to me and say, Pastor Dave, you know, when our church was 40 people, I really felt like I had, and I understand that. And you know what? My heart would be that we would minister to, to 3,000 3, like we only had three in the church and prepare for, for three people like it's 3,000. My heart would be that every one of us would never, ever stop feeling like part of the family. That no one would ever feel like the pastors are unapproachable. God forbid that ever happens. I want to be as, tra- hey guys, I'm always available. Shepherd never stops watching over the sheep. But our church is going to keep growing and when that happens, they're going to be people that feel left out. And that's what was happening here in Acts chapter 6. The, the Hellenistic Jews, the Jews who were holding on to a Greek culture, who had gone and gotten involved with the Greek culture, that's who the Hellenistic Jews were. They, remember back in Acts 4, they brought everything together and they were daily giving out food. Well, the Hellenistic widows felt like we're not getting treated the same as the Hebrew widows. We come walking up in our, in our Gentile garb, And they don't give us as much food or they don't treat us the same way as the Hebrew women are being treated. And I believe that's probably the case because of the answer that is given here. But notice that there's going to be things that happen when a church grows. And there's one way to solve the problems. We're going to see that this morning. And it's going to be a a word of encouragement and exhortation to everybody sitting in here. You know, my prayer when we started the church with five people three years ago was God bring the servants first. And you guys showed up, so you must be them. Amen? And I praise God that we do have a a church that's just filled with servants. And praise the Lord for every single one of you guys. So we see here that there was a concern that the Hellenistic widows were not being taken care of in the same way. So through these growing pains, there was potential division in the church. And so they go to the apostles and say, what are you going to do about it? Hey, pastor! 
You know, this is happening, that's happening, someone parked in my spot, someone's doing it. What are you going to do about it? There's no decaf coffee this morning, Pastor Dave. What are you going to do about it? And the reality is there's going to be things that come up where they're going to come and want it addressed. And again, there are going to be things that are even important things, which this was. And so they come to the apostles, they have a concern in their heart, they look to the, quote, professionals. Oh, the apostles, we've got to go to them and ask them. Because they're the ones that have been put in charge. Look at verse 2. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. With the explosive growth in the church, it was impossible for the apostles to meet the ministry needs of all the people. Impossible. Now, I'm finding that to be true. As our church continues to grow every week, Please, I don't want you to, let me make it real clear. You want to talk to me, you call me. You call me at home, you call me. If you need to talk to me at 2 o'clock in the morning, talk to me. I'm always, I, I, my heart breaks when I hear that you go through something difficult and you felt like you couldn't call me. Don't ever do that, please, okay? I mean, I, I live for this. This is what God's called me to do. There's no greater joy in my life than serving you guys, okay? But I do know this, God hasn't called me to, to be everything in this church, it won't work. And he hasn't called just the pastors to be everything in this church. It won't work. And God's calling you guys to be just as involved as I am. This is your church as much as it is mine. Amen? It's the Lord's church, and we're his kids. And we're all called and gifted in different ways. And the Lord's brought us all here together. And if you don't use the gifts God's given you, there's a hole in this body that's missing. You have gifts that I don't have. You have gifts that the other pastors don't have. And so we see here that I appreciate the, the, the example of the apostles that say, you know what, we see that there's a need, but we are not to leave God's word to go and serve tables. Serving tables is important. Ministering to the physical needs of the body is very important. But we're not going to neglect the word to do it. God's word must be the central focus of this church. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, not the waiting of tables. Now, waiting on tables is important, but God's Word has got to be the central focus. You know, I had a pastor ask me just recently, most of you know after many, 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 many years of working full-time and pastoring churches and being youth pastors and things like that, that I finally quit my job in March. Praise God, because you guys are faithful to give. I was able to quit my job and study the Bible full-time and counsel. I love it. And a guy asked me, Pastor Dave, what do you do now? And this is another pastor friend of mine. He goes, what do you do? What's your day like? Well, I said, well, I, I study the Bible, and I pray for my people by name, and I, I spend time with the Lord in prayer, and I counsel people. Well, what else do you do? I go, that's it. I pray. When's your study day? Every day is my study day. When's your pr- uh, prayer day? Every day. When do you counsel people? Whenever they need to be counseled. Whatever day it is, whatever hour it is, whenever it is, that's what I do. And that's what I'm called to do. But I can only do that because I have assistant pastors who are willing to do everything else. Make sure the bills are paid, open the mail, you know, return the phone calls, check the emails, you know, per, do the radio program, all that other stuff that has to happen. I can only do what God's called me to do if others will do what God's called them to do. And these apostles understood that and they said, hey, it's not good for us to neglect God's word and go and try to wait on tables. Now, where did they get the example for this? It's in Exodus 18, where Moses 
was trying to be everything, if you guys remember the story. And his father-in-law, a man by the name of Jethro, saw Moses sitting there, and people came to him all day long, from morning till night, seeking his counsel. And he sat there all day just counseling people. And Jethro said, what you're doing is not good. You're get, Mo, you're going to be dead, man. This isn't going to work. You need to give some ministry away. And do you know that as your pastor, one of the things I love more than anything in this world is giving ministry away? I love to see people stretched, and I love to give ministry away. And this example is right here that he said, hey, it's not good for us to do this, because God's word has got to be the authority. In Acts 2.42, it said they would continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, breaking of bread or communion, and prayer. The church is not about support groups, aerobics classes, rock concerts, healing crusades, you know, potluck dinners, political rallies. I mean, those are all things that, again, some of those are okay, but that's not why we're here. Amen? Because we're here to be fed God's Word and be transformed and have a place where we can worship and draw near to Him and not, you know, get out the vote for whatever. That's not what we're here for. We're here to fall in love with Jesus Christ, and we've got to make that the central focus. This is not the Kiwanis Club or the Rotary or the Moose Lodge or whatever else. And we're not going to allow our church to become something where the focus is on anything other than Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead, and the Word of God being taught without compromise. Amen? A place where you can worship, a place where you can continue to grow in your faith and become the men and women of God that you've been called to be. But sadly, in the church today, there are many churches that have allowed other things to become priorities. There's many churches today that they've got people sitting in the pews that are biblically illiterate and have no idea what the Bible says about anything. You go through a bunch of rituals and and you're doing all these different things, but there's no spiritual growth. There's been said that there are many churches that are, you know, a mile wide and a foot deep. I've been a first-year Christian 20 years in a row because I'm just not growing. You're not going to grow if you don't get fed. Amen? Amen? And so that's the key, that's the focus, that's the the pattern of Calvary Chapel is teaching the word and loving the people. And so the apostles said, hey, we're not going to leave God's word. Waiting of tables is important. We can't do it all, but we're not going to leave what we're called to do to go and do something else that someone else is called to do. Again, there are many important ministries in the church, but the apostles understood what theirs was. Verse 3, it says, therefore seek out among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who you may appoint over this business. Now, I love this. Again, following the example in Exodus 18, they appointed men who feared God, men of truth, men who hated covetousness, and they placed them over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, freeing up Moses to do what God had called him to do. But notice that even when they called people to be waiters of tables, the prerequisites, look what it says there. They needed to be men of good reputation, There needed to be external evidence of their walk with God. Men who were without accusation from the outside, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in describing what these men would later be called, which are deacons. They're the ones who serve in the practical ministry. The practical ministry is very, very, very important. There are times when you're going to someone's house and delivering a meal to them and ministering to them is every bit as important as a Bible study they heard on Sunday. God's Word is the central focus, but there are times when people need that physical touch as much as they need the spiritual one. Amen? They need to be encouraged and loved. Jesus knew that. He fed the 5,000, and then He taught them. He fed them physically, and then He taught them spiritually. 
So note the high standards. They had to be spiritually called and equipped, and it says full of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because without Him we can do what? Nothing. And so I'm not looking for babysitters in the Sunday school classes. I'm looking for somebody who's filled with the Spirit of the living God, who has a supernatural burden for the kids, and realizes what an awesome ministry that is. You know what? I told you this a couple weeks ago, maybe last week. Mrs. Green led me to the Lord when I was four and a half years old in my Sunday school class. And do you know that Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is fruit of Mrs. Green teaching me about Jesus when I was four years old? Amen? Realize that what a precious gift that is. He's saying, those who wait on tables need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to be filled with wisdom. Because you know what? Conflicts were going to come. People were going to show up. I'm not getting enough. And and they're going to need someone filled with the Holy Spirit to be able to minister to those people, even in the physical needs. Amen? And so he said, raise up these guys. Get seven men who've been called by God. God had gifted more than just the apostles. He'd have gifted other men, and these other men were going to be raised up. And what I love about the apostles, they were the exact opposite of the Pharisees. Remember we talked about the Pharisees and the Sadducees? The Pharisees were the, you know, the heavily, heavy-duty legalistic guys, and the Sadducees were the ones that were into morality but didn't believe in the resurrection. And they were you know, the black robes with a wheelbarrow full of rules and heaven at the end, and, and you know, the no-fun, bummer guys, and that's who they were. And they didn't want to give any ministry away because they wanted to be in charge of everything. Hey, if you go to a church and you've got a pastor who wants to be in charge of everything, run away. Because the reality is, God doesn't call a man, He calls men and women. Amen? You want to see revival in a church? Don't look for a spirit-filled man, look for a spirit-filled church. Where everybody's sitting out there has got a hunger and a passion and a burden for the things of God. And so we see here that He says, raise up seven men. Call more people to come alongside to hold up their hands. God created more than the apostles to serve. And so too he has gifted more than just the pastors of this church to serve. Not looking for ability, but availability and a willingness to serve. Verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Where is the focus of the apostles? God's word, God's word, God's word, and prayer. I'll tell you what. That's where a pastor's heart ought to be. Amen? You guys, by using your gifts... You allow me to literally spend 50, 60 hours a week studying the Bible. I can't believe I get to do that, by the way. I cannot believe I get to do that. There's no greater blessing in the world. I would rather do what I'm doing than be quarterback for the 49ers, okay? Than win the lottery tomorrow, or Powerball, or whatever else. I mean, I'm, I'm the richest man on the planet. I get to hang out with the creator of the universe and study God's word because you're faithful to do the things God's called you to do. So thank you, and God bless you guys, for being obedient and being faithful, because if you weren't, I couldn't do this. And I, but at the same time, you see the example. The apostle said, hey, we're not going to be distracted, we're not going to be divided, and it would not be possible if it weren't for these seven humble, godly men who were going to take the, the practical ministry away from them. Now, I want to share something with you I share with a lot of young people looking to get into ministry. And I want to say it to every one of you. Be sharpshooters, don't be machine gunners. What in the world does that mean? Let me tell you, Okay? Too many people today are trying to do 97 different ministries and doing none of them with any effectiveness. I want to be involved in this ministry, that ministry, this ministry, that ministry, this ministry, that ministry, and they're doing 75 different ministries, and they're not effective in any one of them. 
God has called you to a specific... Now, he's called you to share your faith. He's given you gifts to do things throughout the day, and divine appointments are going to come your way. But God has a calling on your life. If he saved you, he didn't save you to be a pew potato. Amen? Or the biggest, fattest, best-fed sheep in town, and the Dead Sea is dead because it has an inlet and no outlet, and we don't want a bunch of dead, fat pew potatoes. Amen? God saved us to use us. And if he saved us, then he's going to give us gifts. And I want to encourage you to do this. I want, and we're going to talk about this at the end of the message. But pray about the gift that God wants you to use. What is it? And do it full speed. Amen? Don't dabble at 10 things. Ask God, show me the thing you want me to do. Don't be a machine gunner. Be a sharpshooter. Lord, that's my calling. That's the passion I should have. That's the burden I should have. Do it with your whole heart. And remember this, need does not equate calling, okay? I want to tell you something. Here's what I was guilty of. I used to try to do everything. In Southern California, most of you know, I was a youth pastor for about almost 15 years. And when I was a youth pastor in Southern California for, for almost 10 of those, any ministry that had a need, I would raise my hand because no one else was doing it. So my wife and I started out in a two- and three-year-old class and then, we were doing, and then I was doing the youth, and before you knew it, I was teaching in the prison, and then I was in charge of the men's Bible study, and then I was heading up a discipleship group, along with being one of the elders and an assistant pastor. But other than that, I wasn't doing anything. And the reality is that, you know, well, no one will do it? I'll do it. Oh, no one else will do it? Well, I'll do it. And here's what happens. If you got one person doing a bunch of things halfway, there's a bunch of people that are called to do those things that don't do them at all. God's got somebody in store and in mind, and if I jump in and do it when I'm not called, I'm keeping the one from, that is called from doing it. So I want you to pray. Our church is going to continue to grow, okay? God's faithful to his word. It has nothing to do with any man. It's certainly not because we've got the nicest, softest chairs in town, okay? But God is going to continue to grow this church because he's faithful to his word. And so when you see a need... Make sure you pray and don't just respond because need does not equate to calling. Remember that, call, that burden is the spawning ground of a calling. You know, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but I'll tell you what. When I was a youth pastor, I was thinking about teenagers all day long. I would drive down the road and I'd see teenagers on a corner. I would pull my car over, get out of the car, and go talk to the teenagers. I was listening to the music that the teenagers listened to because I wanted to relate to them. I spent my time on high school campuses and going to high school football games and because I, my whole burden, my passion for life was to reach teenagers. That's how you know you're called. It's a burden. And it's a get-to, not a have-to. People used to say, you work with the youth? What, did you get the short straw? What happened? You know what I mean? And the reality is, you've got to be called to work with teenagers on purpose, right? But the reality is, I just loved them. And I, I, I loved hanging out with teenagers. And that's how you know you're called because a burden is the spawning ground of a calling. It's a get-to and not a have-to. Oh, man, I'd love to do that. That's calling. Not, oh, my turn in the children's ministry? Oh, <laughs> man, that a, how long are we on this contract? Why don't we get out of there, right? If that's your heart, don't go in the children's ministry anymore, please. Come talk to me and say, Pastor Dave, I'm not called. Okay, we'll move you out of there, all right? I want people who are called. Do it because you love the Lord, not because... Someone beat you over the head when you're dropping your kid off or something. No one called to oversee a ministry. Then we're not going to do it. Where God guides, God provides. Amen? And so we're not going to just prop up ministries and then take somebody and force them into it. 
If nobody's got a burden and a calling to head up a ministry, we just won't have it. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean we won't have it ever. There's several ministries I'd love to see our church have, but we don't have them. You know why? Because no one's burdened to be in charge of it. I would love to see us have a drug and alcohol ministry. We don't have one because no one's burned and headed up, or no one's told me they are. I'd love to see us have a ministry for singles that are older, you know, older than 25, okay? But no one's had a burden specifically to head up. And there's, there's more ministries. There's ministries I haven't thought of that God wants you to respond to the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, Pastor Dave, God's given me a burden for this. Do you know that virtually every ministry in this church started because someone had a burden for it? We have agape feast because Samantha had a burden for us to have agape feast. Are they a blessing? Totally. But everything that we do, the bookshop, Michelle had a burden for bookshop. People have a burden and they respond to the Lord and we go, okay, let's do it. Amen? That's how God works. Not Pastor Dave saying, we need these 800 ministries, you're in, okay, you already got this one, you got this. We're not doing that. We're not going to enlist anybody. Let the whole, and that's what happens here. You look for mighty godly men who are willing to serve. And God will do great and awesome things. Now look at who these guys were. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of, the Holy, of faith and the Holy Spirit. Now we know that Stephen was a man of the word, an expositor of scripture, a great man of faith, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, whose face, as we're going to see at the end of this text this morning, was shining like an angel, who when he was stoned to death, received a standing ovation from Jesus. Remember when he died, he was looking up into heaven, and he said he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that he stood up to welcome Stephen in because Stephen was sold out for him and was dying for the cause of Christ. But where did Stephen start? Waiting tables. He didn't start out with a church of 5,000 people and a big salary and a parsonage. He started out waiting tables. He said, I'm just going to be faithful. I'm willing to serve. Ministry begins with a heart willing to serve. 1 Timothy 3 says, For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Do you know that I have seen this pattern over and over and over and over again in my life? I've seen people who are just willing to serve and did not even know the extent of what God was going to call them to do and then to watch God move mightily in their lives man I love it I love when I see somebody just says what can I do how can I serve oh God's going to use that person not well I want to be up front uh I get Wednesdays or Sundays which is it (laughs) right so how much does gig pay anyway you know I mean and people have these, these these whole their passion and their understanding is all whack It starts with a heart to serve. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Serving. Heart broken before God. Philip. It says there, the Holy Spirit and Philip. Now who was Philip? He preached Christ in Samaria. Multitudes were saved. He led the Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord and baptized him. He preached in every city from Ashdod to Caesarea. He had four daughters who prophesied. And how did he start? How did he start? Serving tables. Procurus, who we don't see anything about in the Bible, but in church history it says he became John's secretary and assistant. He later pastored a church, a large and growing church, and was martyred for his faith. And how did he start? Serving tables. 
He began with a heart and a willingness to, stir, to serve. Again, often people look and they want a full-time job. Not just, I'm, I'm here, I want to serve. What can I do? People always come and give you these highfalutin things. Well, here's my ministry. God's calling me to you know, reach all of this. What are you doing about it now? Well, uh, not, nothing yet. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Well, while, while you're waiting, why don't you go serve at some tables? Amen? Because that's God's preparation for ministry. That's where God begins and prepares us to be the men and women He called us to be. God usually brings us through the ranks. And I want this to sound like corporate America because it's not. But you want to look for the future leaders in the church. Look in the cleaning ministry, the setup ministry, the prayer ministry, and those teaching Sunday school. Do you know that my assistant pastors, I'm going to embarrass them, but that's okay. I'm allowed to do it. And, and you're not saying it, guys, so you won't lose your blessing in heaven because I'm saying it for you. But we started Calvary Santa Cruz. We've been meeting about a year and a half. Church was just starting to grow a little bit. We had like 40 people. And Bill Bjorkman comes up to me at Calvary San Jose and says, you know what, Dave? I'm called to be in Santa Cruz. I'll be there Sunday to help you. He came the first week. Our sound guy was Joe Witte. Joe had just had toe surgery. We didn't have anybody to do the sound. Bill said, I'll do it. I didn't know that he had done sound for his career prior, but he just served. And as he served, I saw God's hand on his life. He started having opportunity to teach on Friday morning, and now he's my assistant pastor, and I can't tell you how blessed I am to have Bill Bjorkman working with me every single day. Amen? It's a blessing to all of us. Embarrassing the tar out of him right now, I know I am. Chris was was sitting at my table in San Jose at the men's Bible study for two years. We came over here. I didn't see him for over a year. He showed up on a Sunday night and said, I'm like, Chris, yeah. I go, what are you doing here? You live in San Jose. This is Santa Cruz. And he just said, I just feel like God's calling me here. What's he calling you to do? I don't know. A couple weeks later, I get a letter from him just saying that God has called him to come and hold up my hands and do anything he can to help. He started doing our books and started teaching on Friday, started a Bible study at Stanford, and guess what? Another assistant pastor, I can't tell you how blessed I am. Mike Giblin serves like any, more, more than anybody I've ever seen. Servant's heart. When we asked him to be one of the pastors, he, was, he had sweat pouring down his shirt from calling chairs in and out. And the reality is, you look at people with a heart to serve first, and that's the people that God will use. Amen? And you know what? That's, that's God's heart. Not the one who's arrogant and says, well, I've got this ability and this great gift. Stop it. God doesn't need you. You need Him. Amen? God doesn't need you. You need Him. And it's when we're desperate for Him, and we're serving Him, and we're not looking for accolades, and we're not looking for position. And what's interesting is every one of my assistant pastors, when I asked them to become a pastor, didn't feel worthy. That's how I know they're called. Amen? They're like, what? Oh, I can't. I can't. That's why you're called. Because you don't think you can. You know that without God, you can't do it. Amen? That's his heart. And we see here that these names, look at the rest of the names, Nicanor, Timon, Pominius, Nicholas, and a a proselyte from Antioch. Now, I want you to see that they they had wisdom because every one of those are Hellenist names. They're Greek names. And so they were having problems with the distribution of food, and so they raised up Greek names, Hellenist guys, to oversee the distribution of food to the Hellenist. That's wisdom. They used wisdom. And we no doubt God's the one who gave it to them. Verse 6. Whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Now I love the fact that they prayed first, and then they laid hands on them. The Bible says, lay hands on no man quickly. The laying on of hands is a physical recognition that God has called somebody. 
And it's a lot easier to wait than to lay hands on someone too quickly. We have several men in this church who function as pastors, and we don't call them that. But that's what they are. And they're going to be that whether we call them that or not. And you know what? As our church continues to grow, my heart would be that more and more of you, you serve. God's going to reveal your gifts. Hey, I want to encourage you too, guys. If you have a heart to teach the Bible, come on Friday morning, and we'll absolutely give you that opportunity. Every Friday morning, I'm the only one that doesn't teach on Fridays. There's, you know, 15 to 22 guys. I mean, it's different every week. But we just teach through the Word. And I want to give you an opportunity to use the gifts God's given you, but start out with a heart to serve. Ladies, start out with a heart to serve. Women tend not to struggle with that as much as guys do, by the way. Women tend to want to serve, right? Out of the, you know, they're looking to serve. Guys sometimes were looking to be served, right? So they prayed first. They sought the Lord's direction and wisdom, and then they laid hands on them. Then look what happens. Look at the result, you guys. I want you to see this. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So what happened when they gave ministry away, when they didn't try to hold on to the ministry, and people were faithful and obedient to step up and grab a hold of the practical ministry so the apostles could be faithful to teach God's word without compromise? What happened to the church? exploded it multiplied what's going to happen to calvary chapel when every one of us starts using our gifts and we use them in a way that god would be glorified and we're obedient to what he's called us to do this church is going to multiply like it already has been amen it's just going to keep on happening our church is growing right now and it's not growing because of the beautiful cathedral and stained glass windows in our sanctuary (laughs) and not because of the soft velvet covered pews or the petting zoo, or the carnival out in the parking lot. It's growing because you guys have been touched by God's word, your lives have been transformed, and you can't help but be contagious. Amen? You're here, your church is growing because God is moving. He's given us a supernatural love for others, and a passion and a burden to reach out to the lost. When we grow in our knowledge of God's word, our love for him will grow, our faith will grow, and the Holy Spirit will do great and mighty things through us. Share God's love and peace and the fact that people need to know the Prince of Peace. Verse 8. So we move on from my calling into service now to the boldness to witness. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then there arose some of what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. Now it's interesting, he has boldness to witness, and as he begins to witness, he's going to face opposition. He's empowered by the, by the Spirit. He didn't know how God was going to use him, but he started off simply just serving and waiting on tables. And then what happened? Signs and wonders followed. He was willing to serve and lay down his life and say, whatever you want me to do, Lord. And now look what God's doing with Stephen. Now Stephen, signs and wonders are being done by him that that the message he was about to bring would god would uh, show that it was truly from him he was authenticating his ministry now who are these guys that in the synagogue the freedmen they were descendants of jewish slaves but also there were the cyrenians and the alexandrians and it's interesting that cilicia is in that city or in that area is where tarsus is and who is from tarsus saul who is going to be later holding coats at Stephen Stoney? Saul. And I believe that more than likely that this debate that's about to come up, Saul's there during the debate. 
And Saul hears the debate, otherwise he wouldn't be there at the stoning. And no doubt God is going to use these words later to come back and minister to the heart of Paul. He'll be grieved initially, but later it'll minister to him. So this diverse crowd begins debating with him about the word. And this is verse 10, and they, did, they were not able to resist the wisdom and spirit by which he spoke. Stephen speaking with godly wisdom. He preached Jesus Christ from the Old Testament. He spoke of the resurrection and his sacrificial death, and they could not argue with his words. This is exactly the same thing that happened to Jesus. Jesus spoke, and they could not argue with his words. And the same thing that happened to Jesus, we're almost done here, look. The same thing's going to happen here to Stephen. It says, Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. Since they could not resist Stephen's word, they sought out a way to destroy him, and they made false accusations against him. What did they do to Jesus? Same thing. They lied about him. Just as they persecuted our Savior, so they'll persecute us if we're following him with our whole heart. They accuse him of blasphemy. Those of you here on Wednesday night, we taught this last Wednesday in Leviticus 24. What was the punishment for blaspheming the name of God? Death. Stoning to death. And that's what they accused Stephen of. But that's not what Stephen had done. Verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. Who does that sound like? Same thing happened to Jesus. They stirred up the people. Barabbas! Barabbas! And they seized him, and they brought him before the council. The same thing that happened to our Lord happened to our Lord's follower. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place in the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses has delivered us. The same, again, things that the false witnesses portrayed against the Lord. They said in reference to to him that that he had said he would tear down the temple. Well, Jesus did. He was talking about his body. He said, I'm going to destroy this temple and three days later I'm going to raise it back up. And what did he do on the third day after he was crucified? He rose from the dead. These are the exact same accusations coming against Stephen that came against our Savior. Let me encourage you with something. If people are accusing you of the very things that they accused Jesus of, you're in good company. Amen? You're doing the right thing. If they accuse you of of being in love with the Lord and being sold out for Him and not compromising the gospel, then God bless you. Amen? Remember that blessed are you when they revile and persecute you for my name's sake. And not persecution because you're just plain mean or being a jerk. Amen? We talked about this. You know, you see some Christians that go out and get in people's face and scream at them and then say, oh, they're, oh, they're persecuting me. No, dude, they're persecuting you because you're a jerk, not because you're following God. Amen? Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. That's why we must speak the truth in love. Amen? Speak the truth, but always in love. Always encouraging and loving on people. Verse 15. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly at him and saw his face as the face of an angel. Now, you know what I love about this? They're hurling accusations at him, and on his face was not hatred or horror, but heaven. Amen? His perspective was so heavenly bound that it didn't matter what people said about him. It didn't matter what was in front of him. If they were going to stone him, that's okay, because, you know, you can't threaten me with heaven. Amen? You stone me to death, and where am I? I'm with the Lord. And Stephen understood that. 
And he had a heavenly focus and his face was shining in the midst of adversity. But what I love too is they'd accused him of speaking against who? Moses, right? Who else had a face that shone? Moses. Remember when Moses came down from the mount? His face was shining. Do you think that these, these religious leaders knew that? Of course they did. And I think this is the ultimate way of God saying, you think he's speaking against Moses. He is speaking with and for Moses. And let me just prove it to you. His face is glowing in the dark just like Moses' did. Amen? Focus on heaven. Smile in the midst of adversity. You know what, guys? When we set our mind on things above and not on things of this earth, we're not going to allow the world to, to cause us to struggle and be down. Religious leaders would have known. And again, God was saying, this man is not against Moses. And in the midst of crisis, he reflects the presence of God. So, in review, raising up godly men and women, it begins first with a heart to serve. Using the gifts God has given you. Results in boldness to witness. You'll be empowered by the Spirit. In the midst of difficulty, you can have an eternal focus. You'll remain focused on that which will outlast this life. They knew God's word and would not compromise the truth of the gospel. And that's why the church grew. Let me ask you a question. What's God calling you to do? What is his calling on your life? And let's take one moment. Bear with me. I don't think I've ever shared with this church how I became a pastor. Let me just tell you real quick. Do you know that when people used to ask me when I was a kid if I was going to be a pastor or not, my answer was always no. Most of you know I'm a PK, I'm a preacher's kid, okay? And people would ask me, are you going to be a pastor? I'd say, no, you know, I love the Lord and I have a heart for God and I share my faith, but that's not what I'm, I'm called to be a Christian businessman and, and you know, and love my wife and, my, and have a bunch of kids and, and go to church and serve. That's what I'm called to do, but I'm not called to be a pastor. And I'll never forget that God gave me a job making a, an absolute ton of money at a very young age and I, and, and I had this passion, a very competitive guy, to break all the sales records, so I did that. That's done, now what? And I be, started to become dissatisfied. And I started to realize that God had more for me. And I, my wife and I were working in the children's ministry down in Lancaster, and, you know, and I was very vocal about my faith at work, but I knew that there was something more that God wanted to do with me. And I put in for a transfer to Santa Cruz to come back up here and help my dad with his church. I was sending my tithe check still to Calvary Santa Cruz, though I lived in Lancaster at the time, the church that's now out in Aptos. And I was sending my tithe checks, and I put in for a transfer at the last minute. I didn't get it. And I'll never forget going home to my wife, and they told me I'd have to be there for at least three more years. And I was like, okay, Lord, you want to do more with me. I don't know what it is, but I know you want to do more. And I prayed and said, Lord, just show me. I went to church on Sunday, and my pastor, John Snoddle, he got up and said, hey, I'm going to start a thing this afternoon at 2 o'clock called cross-training. And any of you guys who really feel like God's calling you to do more, I want you to come to that class. And I looked at my wife and said, oh, there it is. Okay, yes, Lord, I'm showing up. So I went to that class, and I kid you not, the third week, I'm sitting out in the driveway of the church office, and he comes up to me and says, Dave, why don't you pray about being our youth pastor? what? Youth pastor? What are you talking? I just, I know God wants to do more. I'm just showing up for classes. I, why don't you pray about being our youth pastor? I don't know what a youth pastor does. I've never even been to a youth group before. Why don't you just pray about it? Okay. I went home and you know what happened? The Lord said, do it. So I showed up the next week. I said, okay, I'll do it. He said, I said, I don't know what to do. I can teach him the Bible. Well, then teach him the Bible. All right. 
I showed up that first week, there were six girls. <laughs> Five of them were sisters. If they went on vacation, it was a lonely youth group. There was a lady leading worship, and I'm teaching them through John, sitting around this table and stumbling all over myself. But I said, okay, Lord, you sent me here. I'm thinking, well, I can do this. I can sit around the table and teach kids. You know, and it, and it started growing a little bit. It got up to 8, 10, 12, 15 kids. Well, then I'm sitting in church on a Wednesday night, minding my own business with my suit on, coming straight from work. And the secretary comes out and says, Dave, come here. John wants to talk to you. Okay, I walk into the pastor's office. He's not in there. The phone's off the hook. I pick up the phone. I go, Pastor John, what are you doing? He goes, I'm stuck at the airport. You're teaching. I'm teaching when? He goes, they're probably in the last song right about now. You probably got five minutes. I go, that ain't even right. <laughs> That's just not right. So, I, I, Lord help, right? Uh, got up and taught James chapter 1. And then two and a half weeks later, he, I, I taught and people were at the, at the uh, we had a men's retreat going, oh, you got to let Dave teach all the time. I'm like, be quiet. You got to let Dave teach all the time. Whenever you're gone, so two and a half weeks later, he comes by, he's walking up when they say, everybody release and the kids can go. He comes by and he leans over to me and says, hey, Dave, I'm going to be gone next Sunday. You're teaching both services and keeps walking. <laughs> what? I went to a class a few months ago. How did this happen? I'm willing to do tables, but Sunday morning, are you kidding? Two services? Oh, you got to be kidding me. But the reality is that God had a plan for my life. And I didn't even know what was next. I just knew that he wanted to do more with me. And I've just watched God, you know, then I started doing all the other ministries, the prison and the men's ministry and all that other stuff. And then God called me up to San Jose where I did youth and men. And then God brought me over here. And you know what? If you had asked me 20 years ago if I'd be pastor in a church, I'd tell you no. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing in the world I'd rather do than what I'm doing right now. And my heart would be that you would not miss God's calling for your life. That if you're where I was, and you know God wants to do more with you, I want to encourage you to step out and say, Lord, show me what it is. Lord, I've been a pew potato long enough. Lord, I've been fed. I'm in the Dead Sea. Okay, Lord, I want an outlet. It's been all inlet. And you know what? Our church depends on us being obedient if we want to see God reach Santa Cruz County. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your love and your grace. And and Lord, I just thank you for just this timely message for us as a church. As we continue to grow, Lord, I know that there are many men and women sitting out there right now that you have a calling upon their lives. Lord, I know that you've called us all to do ministry when you saved us. But Father, that there are those that are sitting out there right now that, that Lord, feel like, yeah, that's me. I want to do more. Lord, I know you're calling me to do more. Lord, I want to, I want to obey you. And here's what I'd like to do. If you're here this morning and you know that you're where I was 20 years ago when you don't know what, you may not even know what it is, but you know God's calling you to do more. I just want you to stand up and I want to pray for you. Anybody here at all? God bless you guys. I want to pray for you. Maybe you'll look back at today like I look back at the day when I was sitting in there and he talked about cross training. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person who's on their feet and I thank you, Lord, as they're responding to that calling you've placed upon their lives. And Father, I pray that you would give them clear wisdom and direction as to what you would have them do. And Father, I know that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that they ask or think. Lord, whether it's new ministry starting here at our church, 
it's getting involved and holding up the hands of people who are involved in ministry now. Or Lord, maybe it's even starting something somewhere else, Father. I believe that in this room there may be those who someday will be pastoring churches that we'll send out. But Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would give them wisdom and give them direction. And may they just start by being obedient to the simplest thing that you call them to do. Just as Stephen and Philip were willing to, to wait on tables, may we be willing to serve with our whole heart. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. You're such a great God. We just pray, Lord, for revival in Santa Cruz County and help us, Lord, to be in the center of your will, never to strive, never to do th anything in our flesh, Lord, but to serve you with our whole heart. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. let's all stand and close the worship song.